Let me jump in. So I've come, uh, more recently in my life, I have come to develop a real deep respect and honor for um, something that I heard called Abuelita Theologies. Um, I actually had never even considered that that was a thing until I, the last time I spoke, I referenced a book called Latinas Evangelicas, and they have a whole chapter called Abuelita Theologies. You don't know what Abuelita means, that's grandma in Spanish. Um, do you guys know what Abuelita Theologies are? You know what that is? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about a specific kind of abuelita. Not just any abuelita. I'm talking about like the butt spanking, uh, demon slaying, uh, the prayer warrior. I'm going to tell it like it is and embarrass you in front of your friends. Rice and beans cooking. Abuelita. They're saints. That's what I'm talking about. And these sayings, I'm going to be completely honest with you, most of the time I never really gave them much, uh, any attention. Because half the time they just sounded crazy. You know, like the tell the truth, shame the devil. You know, you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. They talk about the devil a lot for some reason, abuelitas do. You know, the too blessed to be stressed and too anointed to be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Like those sayings. And you just kind of roll your eyes and you just keep walking. You don't let her see you roll your eyes. But you roll your eyes with your back turned and you just keep walking. It's like, man, she's crazy. She doesn't make any sense. But however, sometimes these same abuelitas will drop some sort of deep truth uh, that if you're not really paying attention, um, you'll miss it. But if you really understood it, it would rock your world. And for me, um, a common saying that I heard my abuelita even my mom and my aunties say, um, was, Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. Which means, remember what God brought you out of. Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. And this saying, I was oftentimes corrective. Uh, because it, it would often come when people were gossiping, <laughs> talking about somebody else's life. And that abuelita would come, acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios, right? You, you forget how you used to run these streets, right? It would come as a correction. And then there were other times that it was more of a call to worship. Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. Reminding us of the undeserving mercy, the grace, the love that God freely gave us even in our mess. Corrective and a call to worship. And for me, this passage is Paul saying to us, Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. Remember where God brought you out of. He writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world. And the truth is that we cannot fully grasp or appreciate that we have been saved by grace. We cannot fully grasp or appreciate that we have been uh, made alive in Christ without first remembering that we were dead in our transgressions, right? That you were actually deserving of wrath. You can't just enjoy the grace and the new life without actually first remembering that you were a hot mess. And some of us have better memories than others. 
And for some of you guys, your past has actually become the fuel for the work that you do now. Some of you have microchurches, ministries that you have created, that have been birthed out of your, your, your stories of pain and trauma and what Jesus did through that. And some of us have past that we actually would much rather forget. We no longer want to identify with that time in our lives, maybe because you're still wrestling with shame. Maybe because you would much rather talk about your new life and identity in Jesus and forget all of that. And then there are some of us that we have a hard time understanding the profundity of the statement, you were dead in your transgressions, deserving of wrath. You know why? Because death actually never felt that eminent to you. And it's hard for you. It's hard for you to understand how deep that really is, how life-giving it really is. Did anyone ever grow up in churches where they would have testimony time? Remember that testimony time? It was always, it, it was always a risk. You don't know what people are going to say. You give someone the mic, say, you know, come and testify. And it was, sometimes it was good, and other times it was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? And in my church, it felt like the testimony Olympics, like, in all honesty. You know, because every testimony had to one-up the one before. You know what I'm saying? So the first person would come up and be like, yeah, on Saturdays I would be at the club, but the Lord woke me up Sunday morning and I went to church. Right? They would say that. But then the next person would come and be like, well, I was in a gang. And I used to rob the corner store. <laughs> and then the person after that would be like, well, I was in two gangs and I robbed three banks while I was selling drugs to stay-at-home moms. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. It's like, really, we doing this? Testimony Olympics. And I'm going to be honest with you. I never wanted to share my testimony because it felt kind of lame uh, compared to the former Latin Kings member. I just, I, I just didn't know what to say. Like, I, I just, I wasn't sure how to, you know, lead people with my testimony of growing up in church. See, that was my testimony. I grew up in church and death didn't feel eminent to me. See, the chasm between my life before Jesus and my life after Jesus didn't feel that wide. Death did not feel eminent to me. And I struggled. I struggled to understand why God's grace was amazing. I struggled. Because my pride and my idolatry, my disobedience, it just didn't feel that bad. It felt kind of innocent and harmless. But I love it because in this passage, Paul makes no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles when it comes to who was deserving of death or who was dead in transgressions. This is a very inclusive message, right? All of us were dead in our transgressions. There were not some more deserving of punishment than others. He also makes no distinction between the grace given to the Jews and the Gentiles. There is no distinction there either. All were saved by grace, not by works, so that none could boast. And I love that because the problem is that we have this tendency to create hierarchies that divide and categorize some of us as more righteous and deserving than others, right? 
We do that. And we have this tendency um, to measure our standard of holiness against the person next to us, rather against the kingdom um, of God, rather against Jesus himself. And so Paul says all were deserving of wrath. He doesn't start listing who was deserving of wrath and the other ones that were okay. All, all were deserving of wrath and all were saved by grace. And I think it's important for us to understand that we can never forget our testimonies. De donde nos sacó Dios. Can't forget that. De donde te sacó Dios. There is something powerful about the way that our testimonies of Jesus reaching into our mess and rescuing us and how that can bring about healing. There's something powerful about that. that just you saying you sharing, you being open, you being vulnerable, being honest about your life and what Jesus did, not so much what you did, but what Jesus did, that that brings about healing for the hearer. I think about um, probably one of my most favorite people in the world, Nancy Hernandez. This woman, if you don't know her, man, you, you need to get to know her. And, and don't let the language barrier uh, be be something that keeps you from really hearing her story. She is incredible. She's a part of our community. She has a, a microchurch called Mujeres Restauradas por Dios, Women Restored by God. And this woman, man, you just sit down with her for a few minutes, and, and it's like her testimony is on the tip of her tongue. She is just always so willing to share. And she'll tell you, I was a former drug mule. I was trafficking drugs all over Latin America. She'll tell you that. She'll tell you, I used to own many strip clubs in Tampa. She'll tell you. She has no problem sharing that. And you know what? It's incredible because now this woman who was in that mess, and that was a mess. Her life was a mess. And the way Jesus reached in, and, and she tells me, she was like, God rescued me. She said, I was... I faced death. She was like, I faced imprisonment many times, and God rescued me. And then she goes on later to be diagnosed with cancer that almost killed her. And she said, God rescued me. And so she serves women and families, not because that's the right thing to do, but because she knows what Jesus did for her. And so she's like, I got to tell other people. I have to do this. She's like, how could I not serve? That's what she always tells me. How could I not do this? Because people, and the thing is, this woman has a lot of favor. A lot of favor. Everywhere she goes, she has this favor. She told me, she said, you know, um, whenever there's a woman that comes to me that's in need uh, because she, she, she's short on her, her rent, she said, I'll go to one of the former strip clubs that I used to own. And I'll go to the bartender and say, hey, bring out the manager. I need to talk with him. And she'll say, hey, I need $500 for a woman that's about to be evicted. And he just writes the check. That's crazy. <laughs> Who does that? Who goes into mom's Venus and say, yo, this woman's in need. I need you to write me a check. And they're just willingly, happily, gladly. Favor. And she has no problem telling them, yeah, this is where I was, but this is where I am now. It's always, I mean, it just, it, it like overflows out of her. She can't help it. And the thing is, a lot of people have issues with Nancy because of that favor that the Lord has given her, where she's sitting down with governors. The governor of Florida knows her by name. 
Bill Nelson knows her by name. The governor of Puerto Rico knows her by name, is giving her favors right now in Puerto Rico. She's trying to put her mother into an assisted living facility. The governor of Puerto Rico is helping her do that. That's favor, right? That's favor. And people are hating on Nancy all the time, all the time. Why? Why? You don't even know how to talk. That's what they tell her. You shouldn't be talking to news reporters. You don't know how to talk. That's what they tell her. You sound so unprofessional. And, 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 and the thing is, when people begin praising her and say, why you? That testimony is right there, ready to come out. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was saved by grace. God reached into my mess and rescued me. There's something powerful about the way our testimonies can bring about healing. But we don't share it enough. We don't share it enough. And guys, we need to share our testimonies because it keeps us humble. Because it reminds us that Jesus was not always Lord. Right? And when we forget the life that Jesus rescued us from, we start believing that we were always saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. We believe that. And instead of a posture of gratitude and thankfulness, we feel entitled to God's grace. We can walk around with our chests puffed up with self-righteousness instead of remembering that we have been justified by Christ. And then pride, it begins to adorn our words, our deeds, instead of humility. That's what happens when we forget de donde te sacó Dios. And we can easily begin boasting in our good works as if righteousness is brought by our hands. And I'm reminded of, of the parable in Luke 18. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? I mean, I don't know how many times Jesus tried to just hammer this in to his people, and they just still don't get it. And, and he talks about the Pharisee who comes in really proud, comparing himself, well, I'm not like a sinner. Thank God. He says, thank God I'm not like a sinner. I'm, a, I'm not a sinner like that one over there and that one over there because I fast and I give my tithe and I do all this stuff. And then the tax collector stands at a distance and he can't even look up. He can't even look up and he beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus ends by saying, who do you think was justified? When we forget that it is God's grace alone that has saved us, you know what else happens? We become paralyzed. We become paralyzed by our past, consumed by shame and fear, and we disqualify ourselves from being used by Jesus. We disqualify ourselves, rendering his work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead void is what we, we do. Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. I really love Ephesians 2, specifically uh, because of the verses that come after this section, oddly enough. I think, these, I think verses 1 through 10 are great. I love them. We need this, right? But I really love uh, a little further down, you know, the, the whole Jesus creating in himself one new humanity, that for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
You see, my racial reconciliation loving self, man, I can't get enough of that. I live for that passage. I love it. I love it. And I tend to just move really quickly through 1 through 10 so I can get to that. I want to know. I want to know what he starts doing. I want to know. And the truth is that we cannot jump to verse 14, the destruction of the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We can't jump to that without verses 1 through 10, without this. And when we read a passage like this, we can very easily, and we often do read it in a very individualistic way. And initially, that's how I read it. My transgressions, my sins, I was deserving of wrath, I was made alive, I was saved by grace. That's how I typically read this passage. That's how I probably read it almost my entire life. But as I was studying this passage and really trying to ask the Lord, help me go deeper. I want to go deeper. I felt like the Lord say, not only do we need to remember the individual transgressions that Jesus has freed us from, but we need to remember our communal, cultural, and historical transgressions. And guys, that's an area where we as Americans, we tend to suffer from amnesia. Our historical, communal transgressions. To the point where we're shocked when certain policies and laws and actions are enacted in our country as if it was so foreign and ridiculous to who we are and what we stand for. Hashtag, this is un-American. Hashtag, this is not who we are. We're shocked when children are ripped away from their mothers and put in detention centers with no sight of being reunited. When those seeking asylum are criminalized and called animals and threat to the American dream. When black people are continually lynched by police for no other reason than being black. We're shocked. We're shocked that these things happen. And we forget that this has been a part of the history of America since its inception. We forget, and we're shocked. How could we do this? Guys, we've been separating families since the 1500s. And our nation's transgressions have yet to be dealt with, have yet to be repented of. And guys, it, it, it breaks my heart to say that as a nation, we are still dead in our transgressions. We have not allowed Jesus to make us alive. And we have to remember the transgressions of our people. We have to remember the transgressions of our nation, the sins of the generations that came before us. You know why? Because that too is a part of our story. That is a part of our story. And because those transgressions are still felt today, permeating every institution in America, and guys, since you and I, those of us who have been saved by grace, we are the most equipped to declare to an unrepentant nation that Jesus can forgive, that he can heal our past transgressions, if we would just confess and acknowledge that there was wrongdoing to begin with. You and I are equipped to do that. In April of this year, 
The National Memorial for Peace and Justice opened in Montgomery, Alabama. Some of you uh, actually went to the opening of this memorial. It is a six-acre site overlooking the Alabama state capitol. And this, this memorial was dedicated to the victims of American white supremacy. And I found this New York Times article that said that this memorial uh, demands a reckoning with one of the nation's least recognized atrocities, the lynching of thousands of black people in a decades-long campaign of racist terror. And it says that the memorial was actually inspired by the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin and the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg. And Brian Stevenson, who is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, he's also the author of the book Just Mercy, he decided that a single memorial was the most powerful way to give a sense of the scale of bloodshed. And Mr. Stevenson, whose great-grandparents were slaves in Virginia, he writes about this idea of just mercy. And just mercy is the belief that those who have committed serious wrongs should be allowed a chance at redemption. That's what he believes. That's what just mercy is. That those who have committed serious wrongs should be allowed a chance at redemption. And this is what he says. If I believe that each of us is more than the worst thing he's ever done, then I have to believe that for everybody. But the history has to be acknowledged and the destruction, the destructive legacy faced. Now, I haven't been to that museum yet, but I can just imagine what it does to the body, to the mind, to the heart, to, to read the accounts of these victims. And it says that, that the museum actually um, what they're trying to prove, what they're trying to show is that slavery, the, the system of slavery, it did not end, but it evolved. From the family-shattering domestic slave trade to the decades of lynching terror to the suffocating segregation of Jim Crow to the age of mass incarceration in which we live now. And I love this. I love this part. This is what, what Mr. Stevenson said. I'm not interested in talking about America's history because I want to punish America. Listen to this, I'm not interested. And he was the, the one who, who campaigned and, and raised funds for this, that for years was, was looking up documents, archives, to try to find uh, the, the names, the stories of these victims. He says, I'm not interested in talking about America's history because I want to punish America. This is what he says, I want to liberate America. I want to liberate America. Let me invite up the worship team. I want to be moved by a desire to see my family, my neighbors, my community, even our nation liberated. I want that. And I know many of you long for the restoration and healing of those who for far too long have been denied basic human rights. That's what you do. That's what many of you do. That's what you toil day after day doing. 
But until we acknowledge the past and present transgressions that divide us, until we acknowledge that, that those past and present transgressions deceive us into believing that some of us are worthy and, and some of us are deserving and others are not, and that we have been complicit at times, until we acknowledge that, guys, there can be no justice and those we serve will not experience the freedom that comes from grace and being made alive in Christ. If we just ignore and pretend that didn't happen, it wasn't that bad. Acuérdate de donde te sacó Dios. Remember where God brought you out of. And let that be a source of hope for the coming kingdom of God in the world. Tell me, what hope do your testimonies bring to our community? What hope do your testimonies bring to the homeless on the street? What hope do your testimonies communicate to children caught in the foster care system, to women trapped in the sex industry? What hope do your testimonies bring to the fifth grade student who's still reading at a first grade level? What hope does your testimony bring to the abused wife, the single mother facing eviction? What hope does your testimony bring to them? What do our testimonies have to say to the systems and structures that crush the image of God in those who are marginalized? What do your testimonies have to say to that? Because I believe they have a lot to say. A lot. But we don't think about it that way. What would it look like for us to lead our community, our nation, into bringing their past and current transgressions to Jesus? so that they too can experience his grace and mercy, so that they too could be made alive, so that there could be justice and equality for all and not just for some. I think we need to be open and vulnerable, generous with our testimonies, but not just our testimonies from the past, but about the moments, like Irby was saying, where we choose to follow the ways of the world today. The moments when we give in to the gratifying of the cravings of our flesh today. Because that's not just in our past, we still struggle with that because the ruler of the kingdom of the air is everywhere and sometimes we pay attention to him and other times we ignore him. Sometimes we give him power and other times we recognize that we've been made alive. But we need to be open and vulnerable with all of those stories. Not just where we came from and what God did, but even right now what God is doing now because he's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. I hope not because I am a mess. The testimonies, the stories we tell the world can liberate, can liberate people. The stories, the testimonies that we tell should shake the foundation of every unjust system and structure in our nation. They should, they could, but we gotta be open. We gotta be vulnerable. We gotta be sharing. It needs to be at the tip of our tongue like Nancy. When she's asking FEMA to, to, to once again uh, give money towards the Puerto Rican families, where she's demanding, she's not afraid. She'll ask, she'll ask FEMA in her broken English, she doesn't care, that doesn't hold her back because she knows. She knows our stories, our testimonies need to shake the foundation of systems and structures too. 
And I think what I'm most encouraged by, guys, is that at the end of the day, this isn't our story. It's God's story. It is us testifying about what God has done, not just about what we have done or what has been done to us. See, my story does not fully tell the story of God. Your story does not fully tell the story of God's love and, and redemption, but our collective stories, they do. They do. And that is why we testify, to proclaim his story to an unrepentant world. What Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus has done on behalf of humanity. And our testimony should be the fuel that compels our love for the world. It should fuel our pursuit for justice, for the oppressed. It should fuel us to call this nation to account for its past and current sin. Because we were all by nature deserving of wrath because of his great love. See, that's the, the other part of the story. Because of his great love. Not me. I don't love that well. But because of his great love. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I'll just end with this. You know, today is my daughter B's 21st birthday. And B came into our home five years ago. And B had a very violent, abusive, traumatic past. And the thing is, it's not just her past, it's still her present. And B gave her life to Jesus when she came into our home she struggled to see the centrality of Jesus in her story. She still lives in the past. And she has had a very difficult journey. Very, very difficult journey. And I remember when she first moved in, I sensed the Lord say, one day she's going to share her story. In a crowd, in a room full of people, she's going to share her story. She's going to talk about the ways that I rescued her. The way that I made her alive when she was dead in her transgressions. She will. And I remember her telling me one day, I had a dream that I was talking to a crowd of people and telling them my story. And I still think that there's hope for that story to be told. Even though right now she wants nothing to do with us. She sent me a text. I wanted to celebrate her birthday today. We haven't really been talking because she's just pushed us to the side and said, I'm moving out of state. Nobody's ever there for me. No one cares about me, so lose my number. You're not my family anymore. Throw my mail away. I'm done. And I sent her a text, and I said, B, you're turning 21. That's a big deal. We want to celebrate with you. We still love you. Can we do something with you? And she's just like, if you want. I was just going to go to Kobe's by myself. I'm like, I like Kobe's. Can we come with you? Can we go to Kobe's and celebrate? And she was like, sure, sure. Then she sends me a text on Saturday saying, you know what? Don't even worry about it. You know, I, I'm not at other people's birthdays. Why should anyone come to mine? And you know what? You, you, we don't have to do it. It's just another day. You don't have to worry about me. And then she blocks me. 
so I can't respond to her. And so that's it. So I, that's, that's where she's at right now, today. No one cares. It doesn't matter. It's just another day. And I long for B to know, to experience the saving grace and freedom of Jesus. I long for that. And B has a story. But what B needs is a testimony. Because, see, the difference between your story and your testimony is the centrality of Jesus. And right now she has a story, but she doesn't have a testimony. And I want B to have a testimony. I don't want her to just get up in front of a crowd and share about all the things that were done to her so that other people can feel like they're not alone. I want her to share about Jesus. I want her story to be 20% and the story of God to be 80%. I want her to know. I want her to know. I want Jesus to reach in right now to her room, wherever she is, and say, Be, while you were dead, I can make you alive. I want that for her. I want her to know that she has been saved by grace, that she's not deserving. She isn't, and neither am I. But God, but God, but God, because of his love, he reaches in, even though I can. I'm blocked. But he reaches in. He continues the pursuit, even though I'm not there. My words don't matter. The difference between a story and a testimony is the centrality of Jesus. And that's what I'm asking for us to remember right now the centrality of Jesus. So as you come up for communion today, I invite you to remember your own testimony. De donde te sacó Dios? Remember where Jesus brought you out of. Be in awe of Jesus once again. Let it captivate your heart as we remember the body of Jesus given for us for the forgiveness of our sin, let it once again move you that you've been saved by grace, that there's nothing that you could have ever done or could do now to earn it, but it is given to you because of his love, because he's rich in mercy. Remember, remember, remember. Let let the Holy Spirit recall that moment when you didn't know, when you were far, far away, when you were alone, when you were isolated, when death was imminent, when there was no hope, when you were sick and dying, when everyone else abandoned you. Remember, remember, remember. the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you broken for you and then he took the cup saying this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup we remember we remember Jesus' death we remember we proclaim his death until he comes we remember so I invite you as you come up and 
take communion. Remember, remember. Come receive the body and blood of Jesus.